Emotion Driving Behavior. That is the topic today for episode number 30. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Thrilled you are here. Appreciate you following along every week. You can do so on iTunes, Spotify, and on Podbean. We talk public relations and digital communications, and glad you are with us and commenting, subscribing, and providing your insights as well. It's been a great conversation. Going to have another great one today. I was at the Capio Conference last week, the California Association of Public Information Officials, in Newport Beach, lovely city, lovely organization. Capio has been around for a long time. This was my first Capio conference. Was really impressed. Attended a lot of great sessions and picked up a lot of good techniques and tidbits and really good discussions um, throughout the conference. So was pleased to be there. One of the sessions that I really liked that I attended and happened to record was this one with Mark Standreth, the Director of Communication and Public Affairs for the City of Fresno. So his session is titled Minding the Gap, How to Create a Lasting Message in the Instant Age. And Mark does a really good job talking about emotions driving behavior and he talks about Jonathan Haidt, the author who wrote The Righteous Mind, which he highly recommends, which sounds like a fantastic read and book. So I'll be looking into that and reading that as well. But he talks about what Haidt calls the six moral imperatives and what people are looking for from their government officials, those public officials, politicians, etc. So the six moral imperatives, caring, fairness, authority, sanctity, liberty, and loyalty. So Mark has some great examples of how this really, these emotions drive behaviors, and he has some good um, stories to go along with them. And in fact, one of his best stories of the presentation, we're lucky we got because he had some extra time and he threw it in there, and I thought it was one of the best examples of this that he did, and uh, has to do with when the play Wicked came into Fresno, and one of the actors getting on social media and kind of bashing Fresno and then Mark's response and then talks about which moral imperative he used and uh, <laughs> to have a really good response to that. So some really good insights from Mark. Appreciate him letting me record this and get the word out there talking about really getting at the why and the heart of the message that all of us communicators really want to get to, not just putting out a message out there, getting information out there, but having it resonate, having it drive emotion and having it drive behavior. So really good information from Mark, and uh, without any further ado, we will play that. By the way, if you're new to the podcast, maybe you're from Capio listening, we have 30 other podcasts talking about public relations, digital communications, from crisis communications. We just, episode number 29 was a great presentation at a CalSPR conference session by Matthew Jennings, talk crisis communication with Rick Kaufman, the PIO during Columbine, had a great discussion with him, Jason Wheeler out of Texas, a marketing guru for schools and organizations. So we talk all of sorts of things on the podcast, social media, communication techniques, and the like. So if you enjoy this, I hopefully you'll check out some of the other episodes as well. You can catch me on Twitter, Ryan P. Ferran, and you can check my blog out as well, ryanprferran.blogspot.com. Big thanks to Mark. Hope you enjoy. I know you'll get a lot out of this session coming up. Thanks to Mark. Uh, please welcome Mark Standreth. Director of Communications and Public Affairs for the City of Fresno, and um, thank you to our room sponsor, Dabba. Thank you all very much. 
uh, if I could have somebody ask me, hey Mark, how's it going? I'm sorry, what was that again? <laughs> Best day ever, thank you. That, that is a, a great way to start our, uh, our session here today. I know really it's a beautiful day outside. Uh, we, we also know that you have a wide choice of workshops to choose from, so we actually thank you very much for flying with us today. Um, in case of emergencies, we do have oxygen masks that we've got dropping out of the ceiling for us uh, to make sure you take care of the neighbor next to you. And uh, uh, I just, as a favor just to me, because I tend to run a little hot, I had them set the air conditioning for stun. So, uh, if, but if we get cold, somebody raise a hand because I can actually work. A, I can work a calisthenic break into the middle of my presentation. So we'll we'll make sure that that happens today. Uh, and I appreciate Capio for inviting me to give this presentation today. For some reason, I neglected to send a bio. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. Of course, it says that I'm the director of communications and public affairs for the city of Fresno. Uh, I tried to get a longer title, but it wouldn't fit on the business card. Uh, I'm also a recovering radio talk show host, in case you can't tell, uh, and also spent a significant portion of my career as a, a professional actor and a director. In fact, I even ran two professional theater companies, including one up in Sacramento. But I've also been a university professor, I've been a, a stint as an education lobbyist, I've been a media consultant, I've been a media trainer, a professional political consultant, speech writer, uh, and uh, let's see, what else can I throw in there? Copyright uh, editor, layout editor, and uh, was the public address announcer for the Sacramento Rivercats uh, and the Fresno Grizzlies. So. When, when people hear that resume, normally their first reaction is, wow, this guy can't hold up a job. So uh, <laughs> I, I have what uh, psychiatrists refer to as ABCD, which is Attention Deficit Career Disorder. Uh, but it gives me a unique opportunity to talk about something that I'm very passionate about, is that's really trying to find the essence of what our messaging should actually be. So I'm. I'm honored to share what I think is uh, essential information to ensure success in messaging by connecting with a uh, changing universe at the most human level. Uh, in English, that means we're going to learn how to create a lasting message in an instant age. Um, we are right now, at this point in our history, immersed in immediacy. We now have access to instant money, instant news, instant notifications, instant answers, instant results, inst instant ramen. I mean, the list goes on and on. And face it, folks, we're addicted, right? We, we can't put these things down because we're afraid we're going to miss something. So I'm gonna take a little informal poll, and please be honest, folks. How many of you do not, notice I said do not, Take a smartphone in with you when you go to the bathroom. Right. So do you guys take your iPads or something else? Maybe a whole monitor. I don't know. But, but that's where we are as a society. We are. There are people literally driving down the, the, the 405 right now at 90 miles an hour that are acting, looking at their smartphones and, and endangering every other person on that highway because they cannot wait 15 minutes to get home so they can see the new Ariana Grande Instagram story, right? And just a, a little confession here, I admit, I can be just as guilty 
Uh, I don't think I've actually seen a light turn green in the last 30, 30 years. So um, it's like, well, let's see there. Me. Oh, wait, that's me. Let's go. As communicators, we know it's a brave new world, and we have to adjust. Now, some people may be going a little bit too far. I know some government officials out there that are now adopting BYOD policies. These are bring your own devices, which means they allow employees to work on their personal laptops, their personal cell phones, their personal tablets, and, uh, and they do that instead of on the issued equipment because they want to improve efficiency and morale. What that basically means is the employees complained enough because they couldn't stay connected to their friends and followers while they were at work. That's incredible. Alexa, how do you spell dystopian? I could have sworn we were wired in this room too. But what's the solution? How do we connect in a world that is constantly changing? In fact, how do we keep up with this 24 second news cycle that we're in? Now, most lectures on communication strategies start and end with what should the message be, right? What do we want to say? How should we say it? But I want to take a step further and start thinking before the message begins to get into what's our why. I'm going to focus on the reason, the why people make judgments and choices. So in order to create fully memorable messages, we must first understand how people make judgments and choices every single day. Why do some people choose Coke over Pepsi? Uh, why do people, someone goes to the theater and another person goes to the opera, right? Why does somebody root for the Chargers? Well, why does anybody root for the Chargers? I guess. <laughs> we, we, we have any Chargers fans in this? We, I, I apologize, but I'm a Cleveland Browns fan since I was, right? This year though, baby. This year, Miami, I already got my reservation in Miami. I'm Super Bowl, baby. I'm all set. We're talking about the difference, though, between intuition and reason. Now, I'm going to show you a commercial now that has nothing to do with politics, but I'm going to make it about politics. So just watch the commercial, then I have a question to ask you. Hello, I'm a Mac. I'm a PC. Ready to get started? Oh, not quite. Got a lot to do. What's your big plan? I might uh, make a little movie or maybe create a website, try out my built-in camera. I can do it all right out of the box, so what about you? Well, first I gotta download those new drivers, and I gotta erase the trial software that came on my hard drive. Sweet. And I've got a lot of manuals to read. You know, it sounds like you have a lot of stuff to do before you do any stuff, so I'm just gonna get started because I'm kind of excited. Let me know when you're ready. <laughs> Actually, the rest of me's in some other boxes, so I'll meet up with you later. All right. Which one's the Republican? <laughs> you all laugh, which one? The guy with the tie, right? It, it, and I tell you something, every single time I've done this, and I've done this presentation for the last five years now, every single person picks the guy in the tie and the brown suit. So what, but why? Other than the tie, what else do you know about these two guys that says one's a Republican and the other's gotta be a Democrat? Anyone? Age, okay, that, that may be a good one. Computer choice. I'm sorry? Choice Innovation, all right, that's good. But you know, there's no wrong answers, folks, so just go ahead and, and shout them out. Anything else that would distinguish these two guys politically? Stereotype. Well, yes, it's absolutely a stereotype. You're absolutely right. Anything else? Okay. 
Ultimately, everybody chooses the guy on the left. Why? Here's the question. Did it take you longer to draw the conclusion or to identify or think of reasons why you thought the way you thought? It took you much longer to come up with your reason why. Your conclusion about who the conservative Republican guy is was quick. It's instant intuition. Coming up with the reasons why involves something else. That's reasoning. So that's the difference between intuition and reasoning. And people make judgments, thousands of judgments, every single day based on intuition without any thought. It's completely reflexive. Recognizing, evaluating, and choosing automatically. Again, we do it every day. Reasoning, though, is something else. Um, you think about it, how much time and effort does it take us as communicators to try to explain or persuade somebody as opposed to both sides reaching the same conclusion intuitively? Let me, let me put it another way. Intuition, right here, and then reasoning. Intuition's like the elephant. It's big, it's dominant, it's going to go where it wants to go. The rider is reasoning. It's more intelligent, more sophisticated, more articulate. But the important thing in this relationship to remember is the rider serves the elephant. So our reasoning serves our intuition. Most people make judgments intuitively and then they use reasoning to back it up, which brings us to intuition being an automatic response to the things that we recognize. So judging and choosing and this goes you know, a long ways in determining what our messaging is finally going to be, is based on what people know, or more importantly, what they believe. Um, let me give you a, an example of how intuition and reasoning work together in, in real life. So let's say you're going to be home. You're, you're this guy on the left here. And you're going to be home very, 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 very late. And you know that the conversation you're going to have with your spouse when you get home is going to be very, 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 very unpleasant. So your intuition calls upon your reasoning to come up with reasons why you shouldn't get yelled at at oh, dark 30 in the morning. So you think about, well, um, so honey, I was at this Capio event and I heard this great presentation about messaging from this brilliant speaker. And then afterwards, a bunch of us kind of got together and we were talking messaging strategy and intuition and, and uh, then it was so riveting and compelling and the next thing we know, it was two o'clock in the morning, so I love you. That's your attempt to persuade your intended audience to do something that they intuitively don't want to do. Does that last statement explain literally the job that we do as public information officers every single day. Trying to explain or persuade people to either do something or believe something that they don't intuitively want to do. One of the other challenges that we have is that in strategic communications, we, we don't have much bandwidth. And I know that I've been here a couple of days and a lot of the dialogues that we've had when talking about budgeting or we're talking about the number of staff members we have, we don't have the bandwidth to really effectively cover everything, right? And our audience is only willing to give us a fraction of the attention that we need to persuade. So the advantage goes to the communicator who starts with the elephant already on his or her side. So another way to, to kind of put this as we show how an audience makes judgments. Uh, they observe something. Right? So they would have 
This, this is their observation down there. And there's two ways they can go based on what it is and who they are and what they know. They have some kind of response that goes across the spectrum from acceptance to rejection. And there's a whole myriad of stops that could be somewhere in between. But ideally what we want is acceptance, right? We, we People intuitively reach the conclusion that we want them to reach. Worst case, it's rejection. And the signals they observe send them down that path to say, no, I don't like it, I don't believe it, I don't want it. So then if we still want to get to them, then we have to engage in reasoning and persuasion to try to get them back. Now tying that into our responsibilities in either working for governments or, or nonprofit agencies, and, and I finished kind of the psychology portion of my presentation today, how do we translate this in, information into a comprehensive strategy to complete, complete compelling and lasting messages? So there was a survey that was done uh, by a, uh, actually he's uh, what they call a, a um, moral psychologist. His name is Jonathan Haidt. Uh, that's H-I-G-H-T, Jonathan Haidt. He's written this brilliant book called The Righteous Mind. And uh, you, you absolutely have to pick this up because it will, it, it's a thick book, but you're gonna be just nodding your head up and down the entire time because the way he describes how people come to decision-making processes. So they did a survey of what people are looking for from either their government or their elected officials, all right? And if you look at the top of the list, what do we see? We see things like honest, right? Gets things done, high ethical standards or lots of integrity, cares about people like me. So these are all big on the list. What's down at the very bottom? Thinks like me. So I don't necessarily have to agree with these folks politically, or, or even from, from an educational standpoint. But what I want from them is that I want honesty, integrity, I want caring and fairness. Those are the things that I'm looking for from people in my government, whether they're a staff member or an elected official, okay? So what Jonathan Haidt then goes on to say is that now he can break down people's reactions into what he calls six moral imperatives. And, and, and he did that by saying that people respond to these signals, these moral imperatives, they receive based on their own personal moral system. But that virtually anybody's personal moral system can have elements that will be tracked by any one of the six moral imperatives that I'm about to give you. But these are the, the foundations that drive reactions, judgments, and choices. And again, these are the things that we have to keep in mind as we are trying to build our messaging strategies. So the first one up is the issue of caring. This is the first moral imperative, caring. We see people who are suffering. We see them in need. We see them in poverty. We see them uh, not having the same resources as everybody else. And then when we see other people who are being cruel or nasty or unfair to them, we want to fight back. So caring, our first moral imperative. Second, fairness. We want things to be balanced, to be even-handed, to pe have people have the same opportunities. And, and we, we, we tend to live in groups that will try to fight back to make sure that we're not taken advantage of or exploited in some way, shape, or form. And the reason I started with these two is because, again, when you're reading comments on Facebook or Nextdoor, or when you're hearing people talk at public meetings, or when they're tweeting on, on online, almost everything they talk about is used from the context of caring or fairness. 
There are others that, that come into play, as you'll see, but for the most part, the majority of messaging you're going to get back from and the feedback you get from your residents, your customers, your community is going to be based on the issues of caring and fairness. Liberty. When we see something wrong and somebody oppressing or, or knocking down somebody or responding to a bully, we want to fight back. Then there's authority. We want to form a group to make sure that we have as much power as other folks do. And we are sensitive to people not respecting that authority. Then there's sanctity. This is really about institutions, it's about uh, churches, it's about um, uh, churches and religions, it's, it's about uh, communities, it's about ethnic groups, but it's, it's these symbols uh, and places that we elevate while we kind of push other things out of the way and those things have special meaning for us. And then loyalty is the sixth moral imperative because when we form our organizations, we are fiercely loyal to each other and we will protect and defend the people in that group above all else. So we have these six moral imperatives. And when we start talking about messaging, and, and I'm sure we've had other workshops and other, other um, lectures that deal with this issue, but Hollywood really understands what these moral imperatives are, and frankly, almost every single movie in some way, shape, or form will go back to one of those six. Uh, why? Because emotion drives behavior, and if people are feeling, they see a movie trailer and they think, I've got to see that movie. Why? Because emotionally there's something they've connected to and that helps to hopefully spur ticket sales. But what makes a good movie? A, mo a good movie will, will touch your mind, your heart, uh, it'll make you laugh or cry. I cry at movies a lot. Um, actually, I cry at Home Depot grand opening, so, you know, <laughs> I tend to be a little emotional. It's the theater background in me, whatever. But, but when you watch it in the movies, you know it's fake, but it feels real. Why? Because it's connected to an experience you've already had. And that experience now is evoked in a way that makes you want to run out and see this movie. So I'm going to show two movie trailers. I actually wanted to show two feature-length films, but apparently we have <laughs> some other things going on today, and I didn't really have enough popcorn for the rest of it. So, but when I do this, tell me which moral foundation or, or, um, uh, or imperative that is at the center of each of these two films. And as I mentioned, Hollywood, I'm a little behind my slides. So here's, uh, remember, it's caring, fairness, liberty, authority, sanctity, and loyalty. Those are the six moral imperatives. So here's our first movie trailer. Which one does this address? By the way, this takes a little time to ramp up. You're in the Air Force, right? Marines, actually. How long are you here for? Uh, a few weeks. 30 seconds left. Just get us in field goal range. 22, 22. The blackout may run along the entire Northwest Corridor.
no longer controlled by the government of the United States. Boys, I love you both, but I want you to do what I would do. Kill this piece They mess with the wrong family. How did this happen? There's a new class of weapon. Everything went offline and never came back. They wipe us out, including U.S. Central Command. And I was supposed to tell I'm gonna fight. Anybody who wants to join is welcome to. We'll hit them on our terms. We're the Wolverines. We create chaos. We need to steal that weapon. You'd be the foothold we need and take our homes back. I can't. Yes, you can. Relax. Things haven't changed. This wasn't even my fault. 
You're still stealing cars? No, since I got out, I've been trying to live a normal life. You used to be a legend, I know what. Rose of 34! In five days' time, you will die. Thank you for your service. Take it, fix it. I'm easy on that. Max, I think I can help get you up there. Hey, bring down the boom saw! Take it again, man.
but it, it was depleted to the point where we were in danger of now getting a lot of our wells contaminated by a, a number of, of bad things. Uh, and then you had the state came in and, and issued the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. But right before that, we decided, hey, we've got an abundant <coughs> supply of surface water coming out of the mountains. We are allocated more than enough water during normal and wet years that we can supply every man, woman, and child in Fresno with all the water they need without touching a single well. But we have no way to capture, treat, and, and transmit that water. So we came up with a project called Recharge Fresno, $600 million. It was the largest infrastructure project in our city's history. But the problems that we had was even though Fresno's water rates were, and frankly still are, amongst the lowest in California, city leaders didn't want to raise rates. Gosh, I wonder why. It's like the, the second worst thing that a politician likes to do, right? Uh, so to combat this, we set up a series of town hall meetings. Now, Rather than spend two hours at each meeting going through the entire story and talking about here are our problems and now here, here's the rate structure and now that we told you we're gonna move on to another neighborhood and we're gonna do the same, frankly, dog and pony show all over again, we set up a series of four town hall meetings and we told a story arc. We started with our first town hall meeting and, and actually it was very well attended, it had over 200 people at this, uh, at this high school and we talked about the issue of how did we get here so that everybody understood what our needs were. And then we started asking them about what do you think our needs should be? What are the things that you see as part of our water delivery system that you think are inadequate? So we were getting that feedback. And then the next town hall meeting was about what are the solutions? And we didn't do any talking, we just asked the public, how do we solve this problem? Is there a, is there a way that Fresno can design a system or to build some sort of structure that would allow us to become virtually drought resilient? And we got that feedback. And then the third meeting was about rates. And we wanted to talk about what people thought would be a fair rate to charge for water delivery. And to do that, we created this commercial. Can you do like a hundred? Fifteen dollars. Sixty, seventy. That sounds low. Wow. Oh wow. Hmm. Really? Join us for a financial discussion at our third community forum Monday, October 27th at Rutherford B. Gaston Middle School. Visit rechargefresno.com. And we ran that for two weeks. And the, the essence of what we were trying to do, and, and when you see that the average person says, okay, if an average family uses 750 gallons of water a day, then how much would I be willing to pay for it? Well, they're, in their minds they're thinking, well, I buy bottled water and it's anywhere from a buck to three bucks, depending on where I go. So 750 gallons, okay, I'm, that's why you get the answers from 15 all the way up to $100. And when, when we came back and told them it was 61 cents, all of a sudden it's like, wow, that's not what I expected. And so we made an intuitive connection and we based it on two moral imperatives. We started with the, with the, the necessity to, to raise water rates. So the natural reaction was, well, you know, our rates are already too high. So before we proposed any rates, we asked the public what they thought was a reasonable charge for delivering water. And that showed caring as a moral imperative. Then we revealed how inexpensive the water rates were going to be 
and they actually moved from 61 cents to about 95 cents for that same time period. We showed them how inexpensive the water is, and that showed fairness. Okay? And so, and, and, and again, while we're thinking about this kind of messaging, remember that the human mind is a story processor, not a logic processor. The easiest way for people to learn things is if you tell them a story or you sing them a song, right? Because, because it's, there's an arc to it, there's, there's something magical about those things that feeding them facts and figures just don't work. And I always tell, when we're, when we're writing stuff, and I'm talking to, to folks actually doing you know, training for, for public speaking and writing speeches, remember that every face, uh, I'm sorry, every fact has a story and every number has a face. And if you can keep that in mind as you're trying to deliver messages, it will make them more compelling and those images will be much more lasting. So here's a, another commercial coming up, and this was uh, our first responders. Police and fire were becoming very frustrated of the number of drivers in Fresno who simply refused to pull off to the side of the road when they heard the sirens go, to the point where there was actually an accident with one of our fire engines because they couldn't get through a busy intersection and somebody ran through when they had the green and weren't really thinking instead of pulling over. So we created a public service campaign that reminded drivers to, uh, oh, I'm sorry, keep forgetting, to pull to the right. What are you doing? There's a fire truck back there. So? Someone pulling over to the right. We are on our way to have dinner at my parents and you're just gonna pull over for some flashing lights and sirens? Yes. Well, fine, I'm gonna text them then. And they're gone. Shoot, I just texted we late because bump to Lance. Stupid autocorrect. I especially like the, uh, the wife upset because she said we late because bump to Lance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's funny because it's real and people do that all the time. Um, and it was very effective for us. It, it's another intuitive connection uh, that are directed at moral imperatives. We, we had the need to remind the public that um, uh, that sirens mean pull to the right. Now, some drivers thought that, well, either I don't know the law or I don't really care all that much. I'm still going to do what I want to do. So we wanted to remind them, first of all, yeah, pulling over is the law, but more importantly, it's the safe and sensible thing to do. And that showed authority. On the other hand, we also proved that pulling over is only going to cost them a second or two. And again, it would be safe. They're out of the way. Our first responders can get to wherever they need to go, and they could be back on the road within a, uh, basically a count of one, two, three. Okay? And that showed fairness. That was equity. That was something that was easily done. Um, just a, a quick note, because we go back to making instant decisions. It, can, can anybody tell me anything interesting about the couple in the car? That they, they just automatically, they, what, what do you think about their relationship? She's annoying. She's annoying. <laughs> I'm so glad a woman said that, because, you know, if you had said that, uh, there, there would be issues, people would be meeting you out back and the, the thing, so. I'm going to give you one more example of the power of emotional storytelling, and it's not from a city government, but it, it really produces a very compelling message that the citizens of Seattle could not ignore.
homelessness in Seattle. The Union Gospel Mission has teamed up with renowned photographer Lee Jeffries to create this stunning outdoor exhibit. Projecting the images onto the facades of Seattle. In an effort to draw attention to the homeless crisis, one powerful portrait at a time. People are bombarded with an average of a half a million images and messages a day. A day. And if you're trying to figure out how to cut through all the noise, if you are trying to make people pay attention to your message, if, if, if you want to somehow connect with somebody on such a, a human level that they cannot not only ignore you in that moment, but deliver a message that's going to continue to resonate for days and weeks and, and months and years to come. If you want to touch the soul of the people that you're trying to connect with, you can't do much better than hashtag look up Seattle Pit. And it didn't really cost them all that much. But wow, a powerful image. So as we're going to wrap up here, uh, if I could have somebody uh, ask, hey, Mark, so what's the takeaway for today? Excellent question. Thank you so much for that entirely unprompted response. Um, the, the takeaway is, first of all, we're not in the information business, right? But I think we're, we're in the people business. And if people are making choices intuitively and instantly, then we should communicate on an instant basis intuitively. There are things that you should strive to do with every speech, every press conference, every public service campaign, or every Facebook post. Uh, first, make your, your messaging audience-centric. Determine their needs and their moral imperatives based on whatever the issue happens to be first, and to make sure that those decisions are driving the audience's reactions and judgments and choices before you actually begin. Second, be agile and authentic. That means you have to be as responsible and flexible as possible, and, and stay away from the bureaucratic babble. Have a conversation with folks, not a lecture. Um, and I, I know I've heard a couple of other uh, presenters talk about this too, but the issue of using their words, not ours. Because we, we tend to get caught up in, in the typical kind of government speak and, and every acronym known to man, uh, but we've got to do it in a way that people you know, can, can, can comprehend it immediately. We, we had an issue this past summer because 
instead of having our water conservation representatives go out and actually physically see people that were you know, possibly violating our water restrictions because they were watering on a Monday and nobody's ever watered on a Monday in the last 25 years in Fresno, right? Rather than have them do that because we think that that's a, uh, we've got better uses for their time, right? What did we do? We went to automatic notification. And so people were freaking out because I got to notice, well, wait a minute here. Why are you fining me? That's, a, if you'll notice very quickly, it's just a notice, right? We'll fine you if you keep doing it. But the first one's just a kind of heads up. But when we tried to explain that to people, it wasn't really simple until we started using the phrase, our goal is to fix, not fine. So there's alliteration in there, so it makes it easy to remember, but fix, not fine. And now we've got, I've got TV reporters using that automatically now when they, when they get those kind, of, those kind of questions. And then we also had other people who were saying, well, how could I possibly get a notice for, for outdoor watering? I don't even have a lawn. And I thought, well, hmm, that's interesting. Let's solve the mystery. That was the phrase I used. Let's solve the mystery. Let me ask you this. Uh, your pool. Yes, I have a pool. Did you water it on Monday? Yeah. Guess what? That's outdoor watering, too. You're hosing down the solar panels. That's outdoor watering. You can water as much as you want on the days that, you're, that, that are part of your package, but you know, or during the times of day, but otherwise, so we use solve the mystery, and once we started saying solve the mystery, we had people actually were calling us up and saying, hey, I just got this notice, can you help me solve the mystery? So that was a good thing. Focus on dialogue and engagement, and I talked about this before in the, those town hall meetings. So, but the, our fourth town hall meeting, the final one of that whole set, so we've gone through how did we get here, what are the solutions, what are reasonable rates, and then finally we said, based on everything you told us, at those other three town hall meetings, we come up now with a plan. Did we get it right? And we got feedback from them, and a few things even changed after that before we presented it to city council. But again, instead of using that typical bell curve where we, we get the information or we get the resolution that we want, then we just tend to forget about our, uh, our residents after that, we, we're doing an infinite loop of connectivity where it gets presentation feedback, coming back and, and rewriting, then more feedback, and then changing plans, and then more feedback, and you're continually talking to your audience, to the point where Fresno got $70 million in uh, cap-and-trade money for the, the Transformative Climate uh, Communities Project. We have half of the money in the state of California. So, we, but we had to figure out what to do with it, because the good news is, we got half the money allocated for the state of California. The bad news is we got it because we've got the worst poverty and the worst air pollution in the state. So what are we gonna do with it? We called a committee of 125 people together and we had them meet and we had them talk and every single government official that was there, anybody remotely connected to the city was not allowed to say one damn word. And at the end, when the projects were all, were all voted on, to present the final package to the state of California, the final vote was 124 to one. Because they drove the bus, not us. And then finally, your messaging should be driven by, by storylines. So communicate, well, I, I, I say this all the time, but it's, it's, it's just as true in the world of, of theater as it is with public communications. To communicate everything is to communicate nothing. So focus on creating meaning for citizens and make those intuitive connections rather than forcing your feelings and data points on them. Let me leave you with one 
final thought. Um, and this, now I'm going to be philosophical for a change. Um, just like a bank, every interaction or exchange that we have with the public is either a deposit or a withdrawal. You're either giving them something or you're taking something away. Make deposits daily. Find ways to make them laugh, make them cry, make them think, and then ultimately make them come to the same realization that you came to, that whatever you're presenting is a good thing. It's a positive thing. It's a meaningful thing. That way you can make your community feel empowered, motivated, and energized. And with that, I can take some questions from the fine audience that I will not give you in advance. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, Mark. Um, a lot of us don't have these budgets to buy media, to produce these ads. Uh, your ads, did you produce those in-house? Uh, how did you create those? So, um, typically, we will, so because I don't, I have like basically zero budget. I, it's a city of 530,000 people, and we have two people in our communications department, me and Jaime Sandoval, who you meet running around here, my communications coordinator. Now, I hired Jaime for, for three essential reasons. He is a brilliant man uh, and uh, really understands the community because he worked for Univision for 13 years. He's won a couple of Emmys. The guy gets it. So he can help us. We, we produce all our own, our own stuff. Uh, so all we had to do is really invest a couple of thousand dollars in camera equipment and uh, like Adobe Premiere, and, and we present those things ourselves. Uh, now, we do get help from time to time, and for instance, in the Department of Public Utilities, they do have their own consulting public affairs agency, but most of the stuff they help us out with is public outreach rather than advertising or what have you. So, uh, but there's training that you can get to, to actually produce your own stuff so you don't have to spend 10, 15, $20,000. Now, we actually did have to, to spend money to put those ads out there, but because we work very closely with our partners uh, in the media, we were able to get like a buy one, get one kind of thing. So we got more bang for our buck there. Uh, and we really concentrated on things. We, we bought, you know, and we, and we had Spanish language versions of this too. So there are, there are other ways to get your word out there without having to worry about having a massive budget, but that's another workshop for another time. So, any other questions? I was that brilliant that I just solved everything immediately here. I got a couple of minutes. You want to see one more story? Yeah. This actually just happened to me recently, and it, it, it honestly it, it became so viral that the subject of my response got word from his mother in New York that she had heard about it. And I had a young woman here at this conference come up and said, I love the, well, there you are. What did you say to me? Uh, I loved your response, your clap back. My, my clap back <laughs> to the guy from, um, to the guy from Wicked. So uh, end of March, the uh, Broadway, National Broadway Tour Wicked came to town. And every, they, they were opening on a Wednesday, they arrived Tuesday night, and one of the young actors uh, got out and uh, was wandering around just trying to check out the sites. And you know, this particular Tuesday in Fresno in downtown was D-E-D -E -D dead. Like there wasn't a single person out there. So he decided that he was gonna make a little Instagram story and have a big yuck, yuck, yuck with all of his friends. 
Um, and I'll play that for you in just a second along with my response because somebody, you know, any, normally Instagram stories are gone in 24 hours, right? Somebody caught it, captured it on video, handed it to the ABC outlet in Fresno, and they called the director of communications to see if me or the mayor have a response to this guy that has just slammed Fresno. I'm only going to play you the first 30 seconds of his, of his act. But he did like a four-minute video that just different musical styles and songs and parodies, just ripping the crap out of his dead downtown, right? So they come to me. So I'm like, Mark, do you guys want to make a response? I said, hmm. <laughs> Let me see if I can come up with something. So I went to the Saroyan, where, by the way, at that time they were having a big company meeting. And I invited the press, to, I invited ABC 30 to come with me and watch me film my response to this guy. And, and think about what the moral imperatives that I've connected to in this particular uh, response. So I had a wicked problem <laughs> that I had to try to figure out. Um, and here's our guy, right? Michael Wartella. Fresno, Fresno, a hell of a town. There's nothing up and there's nothing down. The people, well, well, there are no people. So, Fresno, Fresno, it's a hell of a town. Hi, this is Mark Stanford. I'm the Director of Communications and Public Affairs for the City of Fresno. And I'm going to talk to my new best friend, Mike Wartella. And Mike is with the company of Wicked. We're inside the Saroyan Theater right now as they're getting ready for the opening night of their week stay here in Fresno. And Mike, you know, listen, we saw the video, uh, and you know, much like the musical Wicked, the internet is forever. And so um, we don't blame you. Listen, as a matter of fact, I know exactly where you're coming from because yeah, I was a professional actor and director for over 30 years, and I spent more than my fair share of time on the road doing musical re you know, reviews and, and tours in big cities and small all over the country. So I get where you're coming from. You know, you basically, you, you want to be popular, but unfortunately you ended up defying sanity. See what I did there with the music from Wicked? Anyway. I want to let you know, even though you might not be crazy about Fresno, Fresno is wild about you and this musical. In fact, this is the third time Wicked's come through town, and guess what? Sold out every time. These crowds are going to go crazy for you, and by the time you finish your week here, we're hoping you change your mind. But if you don't, Saturday I'm coming to see the show, and I'm inviting you to come out with me and some of my theater friends. We'll tour the town, we'll have a great time, and hopefully then you're going to love Fresno as much as we do. So until then, have a great opening, and... Uh, Break a leg. <laughs> Within 24 hours, he posted another apology, and then an apology after that. So what moral imperative was I kind of connecting to there? You were too nice to him. Okay. Well, but that was the point. So there's a little bit of fairness. Fairness. Loyalty. 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 Why? Because I'm. I mean, it's not just my job. I, I love Fresno. I, you know, I moved here, you know, to the city five years ago. Fell in love with it. It's very much like my hometown back in back in Ohio. Uh, and uh, so, but the natural reaction would say, you know, like this, like that would die. But rather than do that, I thought, okay, listen, I musical theater. I can put on a performance to show that there's a connection there, but also offer an olive branch to say, listen, come on out with me. So here was the, uh, the wicked solution to 
our issue. And what happened is they actually was this festival downtown. It's 15,000 people, all these food trucks and everything, bands, DJs hopping every, I said, rather than come out with me after the show, meet me here in between the matinee and the, uh, and the uh, uh, evening performance. So, there's Mike with me. You're laughing because he's short, right? Is that <laughs> he plays a munchkin in the land of Oz. Of course he's tiny, but he's a, a terrific guy. So we were there, I actually introduced him. This is the, the first real taco he has ever had. Right. Fresno, by the way, the taco capital of the world, I'm just saying. So, but anyway, first, and, and they also had street corn for the first time. It was a religious experience for this young man. After the show, uh, we met up. That's my daughter there. We had a little backstage tour. Got to see all the props and the costumes and everything. And then I took him out to another section of town uh, that is a really kind of nice nightlife. And we, uh, downtown, we had pizza, we had beer. We talked for a couple of hours. We exchanged phone numbers. We're friends. <laughs> and I, I feel so blessed that I was able to try to make chicken salad out of chicken poop <laughs> with this particular issue. And I had people, in fact, it got so crazy that, does, does anybody know who Audra McDonald is? Okay, Audra McDonald is probably the greatest Broadway actor of all time. She has six Tony Awards. There's nobody else in the world ever that has six Tony Awards. She is from Fresno, fiercely loyal. She found out about this and texted Mike Ortella and said, hey, knock it off, <laughs> right? These are my peeps. But he turned out to be a terrific guy, and, and, and again, we've got an ongoing relationship. We're gonna stay connected. I'm going to New York later on this year, and I'm gonna hang out with him a little bit more. There are ways to use those moral imperatives so that the people out there, the reaction, other than you're too nice to him, other the reaction is uh, you, you handled that beautifully. And, and we have the opportunity to do that, folks. We, we don't have to think just in the, in the little boxes that we've been trained to be in. Think outside the box, do something different, but connect with people on that intuitive level, and I think you're gonna be a much more effective communicator. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you.